0: Welcome to the Always On Podcast. I am your host, Duncan McPherson. And on this podcast, our objective is to enable our audience who are working, productive, fee for service professionals to always be working on their business and on themselves, personally and professionally. I'm very excited because on today's podcast, I had a great conversation with Tom Deans, who's the author of two incredibly best selling books, including every family's business. And in this episode, we talked about how a financial professional can make himself or herself indispensable to very affluent clients, especially business owners, when it comes to continuity, secession, family investment legacy, and all of the dynastic realities that come about when money goes into motion. If you like this podcast, please like and share and tell your colleagues. And of course, we would love to hear any feedback. Thanks for listening. Okay, welcome to the Always On Podcast. Very excited about this installment. I'm going to assume all of you are lifelong planners. You are goals-based planners. You're constantly striving to decommoditize your value and achieve professional contrast and get way out in front of your client's evolving needs. You know the old expression, there's always a bull market somewhere. And I think there is a massive bull market developing that's fueled by demography in the arena of continuity, secession, family investment, legacy, and all of the dynastic drivers that uh, come up when money goes into motion from first-generation earned money to that next generation. And uh, we are very fortunate to have arguably the most significant authority on this topic, Mr. Tom Deans, who is the author of a couple of great books, Willing Wisdom and Every Family's Business. Tom, you sent me way back when uh, access to the audiobook. And uh, it was a little jarring when I heard you. You were the voice of all the characters in that book. But when I heard you uh, play the role of the lady, that was, uh, that was an eye opener. You got my attention with that. Good job.
1: Yeah, it was, it's actually deeply humiliating. Uh, Duncan, I actually haven't recovered from that. Uh, I, I take a lot of heat for that. Good thing it was a small part that that flight attendant had in that audiobook. Uh, But it's scary. It's actually really scary for me to think about recording, laying down the recording for Willing Wisdom, my sequel to that book, because there is a female character that has a very large part. So, yeah, that's not going to happen. You just outsource that? Yeah, we're we're definitely outsourcing that for sure. But looking forward to today's chat. We got a ton of ground to cover. So, Tom, uh, I want to go right
0: into uh, your... Experiential credibility, not just in the financial services space and the role that you play uh, enabling a financial professional to bring value added that the right client really finds to be of value uh, because that your work is second to none. But you come from a place of personal experience that is absolutely riveting, and you capture that well in your books, but also in your presentation. So if you could just ease in uh, with that as a starting point, that'd be
1: great. Well, Duncan, you know I, I only write and speak about that which I have lived. I, uh, you know, I, I've lived in, I think six of ten provinces in Canada. I've run a business in St. Louis. Uh, I did a PhD in England. I have always been on the move, and I, I find it interesting that I write about money in motion, but I'm, a, I'm in motion as well, and it's been really interesting to take a little bit of a pause in the last 18 months with this pandemic, but to, um, to kind of really sit and, and write a lot more and think a lot more about this subject and what a subject it is. I never imagined when I was CEO of our family business for eight years and then having sold that business, writing the book, that I would be about five years ahead of the curve. So I had my liquidity event when I was uh, in my mid-40s. But really, if you look at the leading edge of the boomers, they're turning 75 uh, right now. So the leading edge turned 65 in 2011. We, we exited in... Um, in 2007. So I was a little bit early, but I'm really kind of fortunate because I've been able to, oh my gosh, um, a thousand paid speaking events in 26 countries. I have met literally tens of thousands of business owners. And as you know, as a speaker, you know, you give the speech and then the best part is signing books where you gather the story, the feedback, the confessions of all that has gone well for a business owner, an advisor, someone who has been profoundly touched by this, I think, most vexing, troubling, difficult part of their life, which is, how do you get out? Easy to get in, often difficult to scale a business, but getting out for so many entrepreneurs is just, it's wicked. And it's debilitating. It, it exacts an incredible toll on people's health, on their emotions. And, and consequently, most business owners leave it too late. They just simply dither.
0: Well said. And we're going to get granular. Uh, I do want to sort of get right up to the keystone of your value. So Tom Deans, I'm just going to put you on the spot. Ultimately, what do you do and what is your calling?
1: I, you know, I was, uh, I was speaking in Quebec City a couple of weeks ago and they kept on referring to me as a provocateur, which I, I take no higher compliment. I'm a... I'm a thought leader in the traditional sense. In other words, I truly do not provide consulting services. I like going into a room and turning it upside down um, not, not being destructive. I mean my first principle is do no harm but but my job as a thought leader and a provocateur is to provoke and to provoke people out of a place of complacency and move them to take action. Because if they don't, we know, whether we're talking about estate planning or business succession planning, the stakes have never been higher. There is so much wealth stored in the retained earnings of these businesses with no plan, not poorly designed plans. I'm talking about complete absence of planning. And so I made a decision really early on Um, actually while I was in the middle of writing my first book to really be a speaker, Uh, uh, just a a speaker. I say just a speaker. Uh, It's exhausting work, as you know, to do it well. It is not easy to go into a room and deliver a counterintuitive, contrarian, some would argue controversial message. I mean, it's easy to go into a room and do what Tony Robbins does, right? And talk about unleashing the lion in you and, you know, be the best you can be and reach for the stars and climb the mountain, give a hand up. And, oh, my gosh. I, I mean, I just wish maybe there are days where I wish I'd written that book. But no, I go into rooms and I say, uh, why would you gift your business to your children? Why would you sell your business at a discount to your key employee? Why would you... Why as a business owner, would you be one of the 127 million American and Canadians who don't have a will? In other words, you don't have a will. Seriously, what is going on in your world that would prevent you from having those basic document in place that answers the question, who gets your stuff when you're not here? Like, What is going on? It's difficult work. It's challenging work, but boy, is it ever rewarding. I, I just can't imagine I make the point often to uh, people that this is not a stepping stone to some other place. This is the place that I want to be. I've been doing this for 15 years, and I, I can't imagine not doing this. I, I, I can't imagine not being given the privilege to go into a room and change the course of people's lives. It's, it's, a, it's a profound responsibility.
0: Your, your reach and impact is quite impressive and... To your point, you don't have to do this. You get to do this. And I I wanted to jump ahead a little bit because if I'm a financial advisor, what you're empowering me to do is to supplement my technical ability and provoke a conversation for the litany of unmet needs that exist in a very affluent self-made client. Your point about the will and the stuff, I actually believe that the power of a will is to remove so much burden on the next generation, because as we know in this space, there are so many examples of getting it right, but so many more warnings of how after the emotional devastation of somebody passing, the minefield that they had to navigate, how disruptive that is on their lives, trying to figure it all out. And uh, now you've got to engage all of these professionals. You don't know who to trust. Ultimately, at the end of the day, I want the financial professional to position this as being an absolutely essential part of their process. Now, I want to ask you this question. Why do entrepreneurs put this off?
1: There's a general idea that if we spend time as an entrepreneur, most entrepreneurs are owner-operators, okay? And they, they get up in the morning and they spend, their t- they spend 99% of their time on their operations, launching new products, acquiring new clients, uh, improving your margins, top-line sales, hiring, firing. That's, they're, over, they're over there. And the reality is they, they view estate planning and business succession planning as this time sink. It's like an hour of their life that they'll never get back. It's an hour that's going to drain from their opportunity to make money over here. And I keep telling these business owners, are you kidding me? It's over here where the dough is made. It's, it's not your salary. It's, it's that 10, 15, 20 multiple of your free cash flow that, is going, that you're going to realize when you build a business that isn't so dependent on you, that has proper policies and procedures, that's scalable, and that isn't dependent on you, you build, that's where you're building value and you can monetize that. If you're just running a business as an operator, you're not going to have a succession plan. You're, you're going to have a pretty poorly timed exit, uh, and that exit usually looks like this. It usually looks like the business owner who dies at their desk. Not really a metaphor, literally. I'm telling you, you got about a 50% chance if you don't leave the building. You're going to die at your desk and then your family is going to, Duncan, they are going to remember you. If you have no succession plan, your family will remember you, just not fondly. Yeah, the legacy
0: piece is very important. So, So interesting though, so an entrepreneur chooses early in life not to go get a job, but to create a job. And create other jobs. They build enterprise value by working on the business, not in the business. Yet they don't really appreciate the fact that they've got to work on this because it actually impacts that enterprise value and that legacy. That's an interesting perspective. And I know as I get a little older, and I've been quoting Hemingway often on this, is that success comes gradually and then suddenly. That applies to the money in motion piece too. It's very gradual. I can put it off. I'll get to it later. I'm an ideas guy. I'm working on the business. I think, and I really want to get to this point. This is very important. This is a risk management solution that supplements the asset management build. And what you do for a financial professional is that they get to outsource this to you from the standpoint of, you walking into a real room or a virtual room and doing a presentation that is provocative for their clients and for the clients of their strategic partners, accountants, lawyers. And there's the bit of a good cop, bad cop dynamic. You can uh, you can pick at it a little bit and be very, very direct and maybe even harsh, and the advisor gets to come in on the back end and put it all together and save the day.
1: That's, am I describing a day in your life? Oh, that, that is exactly what I do. Yeah, absolutely. I get, you know, I, it's, it's fun work and, you know, I do a lot of my disruption by by the use of storytelling and humor. Uh, both are really effective at, at kind of getting in and poking around a business owner who is procrastinating on this subject. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll share some interesting tidbits. Four U.S. presidents died without a will. Two were lawyers. Half of all lawyers in America and Canada don't have wills. Like, we keep on relying on those centers of influence, accountants and lawyers, who are going to, we think, going to pick up the phone and call some business owner and say, hey, Larry, hey, Mary, you're 72 years old. I just want to come over now and help you with your succession plan. I keep telling my room full of business owners, you're going to be waiting a long time for that phone call. It ain't going to happen. It's the wealth advisor who's, who's really the values of the wealth advisor are more aligned with my message because I'm saying, dude, you're Larry, Mary, you're 72 years old. You got 80% of your wealth wrapped up in the equity of your operating business, your financial advisory practice, or your, your auto dealership, your funeral home, your restaurant, whatever. What are you doing? Can you imagine a wealth advisor suggesting to their clients that they sell everything and buy, you know, put all their money in 80% in one stock? They, they'd lose their license. it be, it's insane. And yet, what do we do? We sit idly by passively and we look at business owner clients. Sure, we're managing their, 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 their investments and we got a little bit of a retirement plan, but we're not asking the, the really big question, which is Hey, Larry, hey, Mary, how much of your personal net worth is wrapped up in your business? That's the starting point. And if, And if the business owner doesn't know, and most of them don't, it's like, okay, well, look, the very first step is you need a third-party valuation done of your business so that you can answer that question. And then we can start to bring some urgency and some form and some structure and process to your exit because Larry and Mary, you can't take it with you. And moreover, you don't know when you're going to die. So every day, you get up, and you go to your office, and you're now you're 72, and now you're 73, and now you're 82 years old. Listen, you, they're gambling. If those folks love to gamble, seriously, they need to save their money. They don't need to buy a ticket and go to Vegas. Okay? They are already in the biggest casino of their life. It's called their business. I mean, at least the drinks are free in Vegas. Okay, so I do want to get to that, by the way, the whole…
0: Cobblers, kids have no shoes, right? The advisor's continuity and secession plan. I do want to get to that because that is uh, a very important sequence of uh, points. But I want to come back to their organic business. So again, you will do a webinar or you will do a presentation. You'll fly to a city and present and stir the pot and then your model, everybody in the room gets a copy of one or both of your books as a gift from the advisor. So this becomes the bridge as part of the advisor's call to action to sit down and have a conversation about how this gets built
1: into the plan and the process. Is that right? Yeah, that's exactly it. So my business model is instead of charging a speaking fee, the advisor buys a minimum number of books. They they, they brand those books, right? They sticker the books, So, right. So they come to that room. I, I give that kind of thought provoking, no product push, none, pure education, storytelling, funny, high energy, fast paced with a big call to action, which is don't call me. See that advisor over here who brought me here. They are fantastic at business succession planning and really great at getting you started with your estate plan. And so I push I push the audience into the arms of the advisor. Actually, what I do, Duncan, is at the end of my talk, I bring the advisor and ideally also their preferred center of influence, their accountant and lawyer. I bring them to the front of the room, and then I run a panel discussion. So, I'll like, you know, the, I'll get a question from the audience. I'll give a very brief answer, but then I'll say, "Now, now, the real expert in the room is the advisor." Hey. Bill, why don't you weigh in? and ask. So what I do is I use the Q&A to shift the room away from me onto the people who are going to really pick up the pieces and do a lot of business after, uh, long after I'm gone.
0: Okay, excellent. And the accountant or the lawyer is bringing some of their clients in too, who are ideally prospective
1: clients of the financial advisor and vice versa? Oh, absolutely. That's the best part. Uh, some, sometimes those, uh, those accountants and lawyers are picking up some of the cost of the books uh, and the quid pro quo is that they're bringing they're bringing their best clients, so it kind of takes the pressure off, you know, an advisor to fill a room. Actually, the best events are when there's there's two or three sponsors.
0: Okay, interesting.
1: Um, and and you made a very important
0: point: no promotion, no product pitch, no showcasing. This is very key in the world now of stewardship: is attract, not chase. So. Having this deliverable as part of a financial professional's process enables them to go further up market, uh, number one, and number two, uh, start the process of content marketing and even depersonalizing the business. So it's not the Larry or Mary show, we've got a process in place and that shift is key because Many advisors who have been doing this for a long time, they've, they've got their patterns and uh, we want them to say, okay, look, you don't, you don't help people. You have a process that helps people. And everything you do is part of your proprietary process that someone can only get from you. And what's interesting about this is that most financial advisors are kind of their own best kept secret. They're a bit like the iceberg, right? They, clients know what they know and know what they see, but there's so much more there. An event like this helps a client go below the surface and have more of a complete picture of the advisor's capabilities. And I think this is very important when it comes to ensuring the clients don't ever get this sense that when a liquidity event happens, they've outgrown the advisor. Now they got to deal with somebody in New York, okay? Or Toronto. Uh, So these are all very, very subtle, but powerful drivers that when all of this is positioned as the advisor's proprietary process?
1: Uh, Oh, well, a hundred percent. And I think, uh, I think, and I know we're going to get to it, but when advisors can talk about their own preparation for business succession planning, right? Like that's the segue. It's like, Hey, hey, business owner client, I'm not asking you to do something that I haven't done myself, or more importantly, something that I know you're thinking that I better have done myself. I have done it and I'm going to use that experience some of the things that challenged me to guide my conversation as a resource for you because as an entrepreneur circling back to your original question entrepreneurs they look at business succession planning as just one more thing that they can do on their own good luck with that this is this is this is legal it's tax it's hr it is it's emotion it's legacy there are so many moving parts when a when an entrepreneur tries to stick handle their exit all on their own, if they think they're going to go to their convention, uh, meet some, I don't know, competitor and saddle up to the bar and scribble a number on the back of a napkin, like that's in only in the movie. That is not how you sell a business, right? It requires a process. It requires a competitive bid process. It requires years of preparation. Otherwise, you are going to leave so much money on the table, or even worse, you're going to sell your business, and your key employees are going to leave because you've sprung it on way too late in the process, or even worse, you're going to sell the business, and the buyer is going to discern that you are so essential to the future success of the business that you can't leave. Typically, the whole point of selling a business is that you get some money, and then you get to go do something more compelling, something more interesting, learn the violin, I don't know. Just don't write a book on family businesses, uh, Duncan. It's a very crowded marketplace. Very low margins. To position
0: yourself as a subject matter expert while efficiently creating professional contrast in the eyes of your prospective clients, strategic partners, and ideal clients, deploy a podcasting initiative using the turnkey process developed by Proudmouth. Learn more at proudmouth.com. So, um, interesting. So, I do want to make the pivot uh, because you're right. The best financial professional who is indispensable to a client with dynastic issues is somebody who's addressed their own in real time. Immense credibility. So, I I do want to go there and I want to talk about enterprise value. But I want to talk a little bit about the organic business a little bit more because one of my favorite things to remind a financial advisor of is what do your clients trust and what do you actually manage? Okay, so they don't just manage money. Asset management is part of their process. They also manage a business and every investment of effort they make into that business contributes to the client experience and the enterprise value. But in this case, what they really manage is they manage people they manage expectations, they manage the trajectory of their milestones and achievements and critical life events. And building this in to the process uh, is so incredibly powerful. And I often use, and you and I have done other things before, and I use this analogy, but the advisor's the Sherpa and the climber doesn't hire the Sherpa just to get to the summit and plant the flag and enjoy the view for 10 minutes. they hire the Sherpa to get the climber back down. More climbers get in trouble on the back half of the journey. And the metaphor there is, more self-made business owners who do have a liquidity event, uh, the complexity and the emotional issues tied to that on the what should be the, you know, the prime of their lives. It is that proverbial minefield. So let's get a little granular on this. So one of the first things I got from every family's business is do not gift your business. Don't give your business to a son or daughter or family member. Walk us through that.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, Duncan, that, that, little, that little pearl of wisdom was really born out of an experience watching um, and well, hearing, first of all, my great-grandfather. Uh, who had a tire distribution business. My grandfather worked with them, didn't love it. That business was sold in the 1940s. My grandfather inherited. He was interested in something different. He was a chemist by by training. Um, He started his own chemical manufacturing uh, business. That grew to be a really large business. We had no family members interested in that business. That one was sold for over $100 million. My father was really passionate about plastics. In the early 1970s, 1973, he started a plastics manufacturing business. That's the business that I joined at 37 years old. That's the business that I ran for eight years as CEO. And that's the business that we sold on February 8th, 2007. I mean, Duncan, do you see a pattern in our family over the course of four generations? I mean, other than the fact that we can't keep a job, we start them, we run them, we involve family, we sell them, we transition cash. Every single book on the subject of family businesses has offered a competing vision, which is, oh, listen, if you're a business owner, your greatest legacy is this thing that you've built from nothing. And so that will stand as a monument to your your magnificence, to your ingenuity, your creativity, it's your greatest legacy. And so if you don't get that business, come hell or high water into the next generation's hands, somehow you're a failure. Jim Collins, built to last. Really? That's the job of an entrepreneur, to build a business that transcends their own life. It's not just good enough to build a business that's highly profitable. You got to build a business that outlives your life. And if you don't, you're a loser. Listen, I wrote every family's business from, from a completely different perspective, which is the business is not your legacy. It does beg the question, what is? And in our family, as I look back over the course of four generations and 100 years, the legacy was always the next generation who had their own ideas about what they wanted to do and how they wanted to do it. And so all we were doing was monetizing these businesses, transitioning wealth with lots of structure and process through the use of family meetings, and then releasing the next generation with permission to go off and be the people they were designed or meant to be. Not some version of me or my grandfather being a version of my great-grandfather. It's, it's, it's a crazy idea. And the data supports it. Of the 100 largest firms in America in the year 1900, only 16 were still in business in the year 2000. That is a devastating statistic. I mean, think of how much wealth destruction takes place in the modern economy. But what do entrepreneurs focus on? We read magazines. We love going to conferences and hearing about how that immigrant came over to America or Canada with $20 in their pocket and built a billion-dollar plastics company. Like We love that rags to riches and then we stop we stop thinking if you really look at the data and you look at the next chapter of that family you know what that you know what that chapter is it's usually chapter 11 it's usually the family that's so good at making money they're awful at transitioning it they're awful at transitioning their business to the next generation they're awful at transitioning wealth and this is causing this is causing incredible wealth destruction. It is causing advisors. We know that 80% of inherited money packs up and moves to a new advisor because most advisors have not positioned themselves or don't have a process for guiding the next generation to be prepared as heirs or guiding their clients to transition wealth in a cautious way. Systematic way that prepares the next generation. Small and frequent gifts, introducing the next generation to their own advisor or advisory practice, maybe a younger advisor in the same practice, coaching, coaching, mentoring, measuring how the next generation is dealing with small living gifts, which by the way are tax-free. Tax-free living gifts. What do what do most Canadian and Americans do? With their wealth, half of them don't have a will, and the other half that do have a will, most of them hoard their wealth, massive amounts of surplus capital. They hoard it, wrap it in secrecy, and then die, and then the floodgates open. And then everyone sits at the reading of a will and goes, wow, 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 one of two wows. Wow, I had no idea mom and dad had that much money or Wow. I really thought they had a whole lot more. And guess what? I haven't been doing any of my own saving because I've been kind of counting on that big, that big nut coming my way. Oh, wow. Secrecy does not serve families when it comes to business succession planning or estate planning. Well, you covered so much
0: ground there. And as an entrepreneur who's been at it for so long, uh, for, first of all, I, I was very fortunate in that um, my kids put any thought of them joining my business uh, to rest very early. Uh, when my oldest son was in high school, we were talking about the future and, and I, I said to him, I said, you know, I could be kind of your plan B. And he looked at me and said, dad, you're probably about my plan Q. It is so far, pretty much everything else has to fail catastrophically for me to even consider and it wasn't quite that dramatic, but close. But so I don't have to worry about that. But uh, I, I am thinking about legacy. And here's what's fascinating, right? So seven habits begin with the end in mind. The E-myth, Michael Gerber, every business is built to be sold. Okay, so, so focus on that outcome. And, and then I'll just wrap that in one of my favorite quotes that a work of art is never completed. It's abandoned. The artist just moves on and that sounds a little bit bleak, but really what it means is you need to have a sense and some definition on the final outcome. Okay. So with all of that, let's talk about the advisor and let's talk about some of the examples and warnings. It's interesting. I had a conversation with a uh, lady who, who um, took on her father's business took a massive pay cut because she worked uh, in New York City on the institutional side of the financial services business, but was intrigued by the retail side. And she bought her father's business. Uh, There was a bit of a vendor take back. That's all good. But uh, because she had skin in the game, because she was self-motivated, because dad didn't want it more than she did, uh, he did secure his legacy very well, and he stayed involved. But it motivated her to create and reimagine the business in her view, her vision. So let's talk about continuity, secession, and family investment legacy. Because, and I'm sure you agree, a financial professional is arguably doing their clients a disservice by not addressing their own continuity and secession plan. And you're right, there are advisors who have been doing this for 30 years who now on a regular basis have a client who say to them, what happens if you're not here? What happens to us? Advisors can't wait for that question to start coming up more often than not. They've got to get so far out in front of that. So let's talk about uh, some of those factors. So on one side, a financial advisor could reach out to Tom Deans, uh, acquire a couple of cases of books, have you come in virtually or physically and present on their behalf to stir that pot and have the focal point shine on the advisor. That's a phenomenal value-added service that clients will value. On the other side, you have the advisor's own legacy, their own liquidity event, and their responsibility to their clients. So let's, let's ease into that portion of the conversation.
1: Yeah, I I think, again, when advisors begin with the end in mind and and are able to articulate not only to themselves and their own family about how they would deal with the transition of their advisory practice, but then really tell that story to their clients. And this is not an old, you see, it's interesting, this is not just an old advisor's um, issue there's lots of advisors who die in their 40s and 50s and 60s. It's not just advisors who get into their 70s and that's like, oh, we, we know exactly uh, how this is going to go down. I mean, roughly 5,000 people, 5,000 people this week in North America will die under the age of 50. I mean, we just don't, we just don't know. I think at any age when it's just good practice, for any advisor to be able to articulate at some point in the client relationship, uh, listen. I have a succession plan. If if I'm hit by a bus, God forbid I'm hit by a bus, I want you to know that we have a system, an approach that will that will smoothly transition you to, a, to an advisor that will take you, and, and I'd, ideally you would introduce them to that that advisor. Their plan B. Like you just take. Can can you imagine an advisor in their 30s doing that? And can you imagine the credibility that they now have when it says, when they say to their business owner client, which by the way, are the most wealthiest clients, they are the high net worth clients. I know everyone's busy chasing doctors and dentists. The reality is uh, business owners are the ultra high net worth clients. So if you're an advisor, and I got to tell you, Duncan, I've never met an advisor who says, I want to build my future practice on the backs of really poor people. Everyone wants ultra high net worth clients while they're business owners. So you better get good at this because the number one thing keeping business owners up at night is their exit plan, their transition plan. How are they going to get out? So unless you have the confidence to look them square in the eye and say, look, I've done this. I've done this for myself. I've done this for other business owner clients. Let me start the conversation with you. What are your range of options? You can do nothing and die at your desk. You can sell your business to your kids if they're interested. You can sell it to another employee or group of employees. You can sell it to a strategic buyer, someone outside your business, or you can sell it to a financial buyer like a private equity. But business owner, understand this. That's it. No one is inventing new ways to get out. So the question is, How can we work on all of these different options concurrently so that when you pull that lever, you decide that this is the year that you want to move out of your practice or your business, that you've got multiple people that you've been cultivating over the years to bid on your business. It's the multiple bid process that is actually going to raise the price. This is your biggest asset. you got to get this right. And it doesn't happen by accident.
0: Well, and what's fascinating about all of that is the multiples up until a couple of years ago a fee-based tidy business with sticky clients was commanding 2 to 3 times today we're seeing 5 7 10 times yeah i know because there are so many entities out there that want to buy it not build it so 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 let's let's back up a little bit so The mom or dad has a a family member or a protege in place. This has to be an acquisition that has to be very well thought through. It can't be perceived as nepotism. Oh, that's cute. Johnny's going to take over the business because the client perception of that is this feels like a downgrade and a handoff. Okay. And that will lead to flight. It can't be uh, done that way because of the team perception. Okay, when a sense of entitlement creeps in, I'm I've been on the team now for 15 years, and uh, somebody who's maybe lacking some merit is going to come in and take things over. That's questionable too. But but essentially, the advisor has to consider how do I maximize the value of my biggest asset. Okay, so I've got every aspect of my business process driven and defined as an intellectual property. My books are incredibly tidy. My team stays in their lanes. They understand roles and responsibilities. They are bought in. My clients are sticky. And here's the kicker. Not only am I consistently attracting new business through introductions, I'm getting deeper family and client engagement as the money goes into motion because of my process. So, it's not a stretch to say, as you said, get this right, it'll actually drive
1: the enterprise value by adding this deliverable into the process. Correct? Oh my gosh, 100%. And you know, everyone is, is looking for ways to improve and systematize their referrals and introductions. The reality is the biggest source of new client capital is right in front of most advisors and they ignore it. It's, it's the family wealth. If I was going to be an aggregator of, of a financial uh, advisory space, I would come in, say, say, I'm going to buy your book of business, Duncan. I'm going to come in. You know what? The, one of the things I'm going to ask early on in the due diligence is for, for a list of the surnames of your clients, no numbers. Just in alphabetical order, and if I see Adam Brown Campbell Deans, I'll give you one multiple. I might give you two multiple. If I see Adam 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 Brown 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 Brown, Brown. Campbell 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 Deans, Deans 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 Deans, I've got oh my god! I know what you've done. You haven't. You've you've built your. You've you have a, a handful of families that you are. You, are, you have kept an entire family together. Families are sticky. Families don't pack up en masse and leave their advisors, even in transition, when the advisor is transitioning out. You know what's interesting about this is that there are some advisors that have the perception
0: that, you know, if my client, who I've had for 30 years, uh, passes away, and all that money Dilutes into the hands of six, eight, 10 people. Now I'm managing eight relationships instead of one. That just seems like work. What's fascinating about being process driven is they can have a one to many deliverable for all those family members and automated processes. The hassle factor isn't that significant. But here's here's another point on this. You bring up great points Pareto 80 20 rule. We have many teams going through the process of growing down, allocating the 80% of their clients who generate 20% of the business to a different model or a different advisor so they can go deeper into the 20% who generate 80% of the business. Now, what's fascinating about this is they now have a bona fide branding strategy to become that MFO, the multifamily office. And what's fascinating about that, and I touched on this earlier, There are substantial advisors who are losing clients after the liquidity event because they haven't gotten out in front of this. And and this is is a way, this becomes the keystone to have second and third generation clients and to be indispensable to
1: those families and add, add that immense fulfillment. You know, Duncan, we often think that, you know, an advisor maybe has a client in their 70s. We, all, we often think, well, you know, if we, if we offer as an advisor to host a family meeting, meet the kids, make sure there's a will in place. And by the way, what is a will? It is the most incredible diagnostic tool. It tells the advisor exactly in black and white where the money's going. There's your There's your roadmap dude, why don't you spend some time on following and making sure that wherever that money's heading, that you've got a plan to service that money. That is almost always family. Why wouldn't you want to get to know the family? But here's the here's the rub. That, that client in his 40s may have parents with significant wealth whose advisor has retired. The referrals are going up as often as they're coming down demographically. You get the kids and you say, listen, Are you an executor to your parents' estate? If you are, we really, I'd love to meet your parents and make sure that that transition goes well for you. How can we open up the lines? How can I facilitate this? Oh, my gosh. Now you're getting the parents as customers. You know, if it wasn't so simple, it wouldn't be so sad. 127 million American and Canadians without a will. This is like shooting fish in a barrel. It's that easy.
0: It's counterintuitive. It's just, it's hard to fathom that that is an actual fact. But um, okay, so uh, I want to get to a call to action here. So I know you don't like to do the consulting, especially consulting to an advisor to get this right. So that's where we'll come in. We've got this, we've cracked this code. So if you're a financial professional and you want to get your continuity and succession plan deployed, built out, and client facing to uh, strengthen your relationships and drive your enterprise value. Well, then talk to us at Pareto Systems. If you want to go deeper into your client relationships and you want to outsource this to an incredible authority, then I need you to reach out to Tom Deans and order the books and schedule him to either fly to your city or do a webinar for your clients and the clients of your strategic partners and I already know people who have done that and the feedback from their clients, the impact that had, the degree that it resonated for a very long time and prompted action, <laughs> it's, it's second to none. So you have anything you want to add to that?
1: Yeah. You know what, uh, Duncan's, the very fr- first of all, I wouldn't order uh, uh, boxes of books until, they've order- until you've read the book. Like, please don't hire me unless you've read my book. And these are really easy books. The, the, the world did not need another technical book on estate planning or business succession planning. These are fun, entertaining books that business owners actually start and finish because they're funny they're fast paced, and they're entertaining. And and woven through that is some really profound and important business lessons. But that that has really been the key. I've been doing this for 15 years, 1.3 million copies of every family's business sold. That's why. Because business owners have the attention span of a gnat. The book is short, it's punchy, it's funny. And and that in combination with my uh, speaking, really, really, uh, you're going to be, the advisor is going to be busier than they can handle. I'm going to fill their sales funnel with business opportunities. And, and
0: I do agree with the humor and the uh, interest level, your ability to hold someone's attention, but it is actionable. Like from me, my perspective, personally, you prompted me to take action on probably half a dozen meaningful gaps in my own approach. So it is you found a sweet spot there. And um, I'll, I'll just close with this, Tom, from my perspective, Risk management, right? So the essence of Zen is that you could live to be a hundred or it could all be over tomorrow. So govern yourself accordingly. Don't leave anything to chance. Just demystify all of it. And like you said, your legacy will be secure. So I'll let you have the closing comment. I just want to say thank you very much for making your time. I know you're a very busy guy. So thanks for that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Duncan. I, I, I mean, always so much fun. I mean, uh, for those who are watching, there's no script. Like we are we're just having a conversation. So much content, right? This is such a huge, timely subject. Uh, advisors no longer have to build a case for business succession planning or estate planning. COVID has done it for them. Right, estate planning and business succession planning has gone from priority 125 in people's lives to literally one of the top three things that are keeping people up at night. We've lost people that we know. We know people who have been on ventilators. This, is, this came out of left field. It hit businesses hard and fast. This is the subject de jour. That's the bilingual component of my speech today. This this is a huge subject. Strike while the iron is hot. P- people are, there is a voracious appetite among business owners and ultra high net worth clients. They need help and they need it from their financial advisor.
0: Well said. Yeah, if you want to attract more attractive clients, make yourself more attractive. And this is that next piece to that outcome. Tom, thanks a lot. We're going to have you back. This is uh, always great. Thank you. Duncan,
1: my, my pleasure. So much fun. Cheers.
2: Thank you for listening to Always On with Duncan McPherson, where our objective is to enable professionals to always be working on their business and on themselves. Want to learn more about Duncan and his team? Visit ParetoSystems.com. Don't forget to click the follow button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the hosts and or guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Pareto Systems. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. This podcast is powered by Proudmouth, the influence accelerators. If you're like me and want to spend more time educating people and less time selling, Proudmouth helps turn Main Street experts like you into trusted mainstream authorities. They will help amplify your influence over a growing audience of magnetically attracted fans. Visit Proudmouth.com to learn more.